Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Sports Dome IPL Breakdown Podcast Week 4. I didn't miss last week, but Week 4 Breakdown it is. Um, I'm going to still break down Bangalore and Chennai, The what I think is actually the El Clasico of the IPL. They, they call it the Southern Derby, but I actually think it might be the El Clasico. Nevertheless, I'm still going to break that down. I know that was ages ago. It was part of the early parts of Week 3. Um, however... It was such a fascinating and such a captivating game that I'm going to include it part of my week four breakdown. And yeah, if you are enjoying this podcast, please constantly support it. Um, you can support it by giving me some feedback on my social media, by sharing it around. Um, and ultimately, the more listens and the more feedback I get, uh, the more incentivized I am to sort of, I guess, increase the frequency of the podcast. Let's look at Bangalore, Chennai at the Chinnaswamy. Rutaraj Gaikwad, Mohammed Siraj. Gaikwad flicks it, he's caught in the deep, at around deep square leg, or sort of fine leg circling down to deep square leg. It was very similar to the Kehil Rahul wicket um, in the Bangalore and the Lucknow Super Giants game at the Chinnaswamy as well. The noise, oh wow. The celebration from Siraj, oh wow. This was peak Chinnaswamy chaos cricket. This was peak RCB entropy. It was great. And Mohammed Siraj was pumped and RCB had had early blood because uh, by this stage, Devon Conway still wasn't the, the, the consistent threat that he is now uh, ever since that knock, essentially. Rutraj Gaikwad was the main man and Rutraj Gaikwad failed and Bangalore and their main man, their main bowling man, Mohammed Siraj had him. He had first blood and RCB for up for it. But... The, I guess one of the main pillars of success for the Chennai Super Kings this season is the fact that if Rutaraj Gaikwad or Devin Conway, one of them, fail, they have a number three who is essentially in as good form as, as the other two in Ajinkya Rahane. He he just provides CSK an immense batting option at number three, which was otherwise um, sort of used by Shivam Dubey, I guess, or even Ben Stokes. Um, and no disrespect to Ben Stokes, I, I think he's one of the world-class players, but in, in T20 cricket, his volume and his strike rate haven't been up there amongst the world's best, and Ajinkya Rahane is putting up world-best numbers, um, especially in the power play. He will take you on in the power play. Um, and yeah, it just ensures that CSK aren't as reliant on the openers uh, as they were before. CSK did get 226 in this game, and... Chinnaswamy, great batting, intent, all of that, sure. But the RCB bowling execution was nowhere near its best. It was, in fact, quite poor. There were a lot of futile half-trackers that weren't off-pace, um, probably showing that they most likely weren't meant to be bowled, because I don't know which bowler intentionally bowls a half-tracker on a pitch that isn't slow, especially when they're not off-pace either. It just means they weren't meant to be bowling these balls, yet they kept bowling them. A testament to the poor execution. They're also close to five full tosses. That's probably one an extra 20 runs right there. And I, I think even by the 14th over, CSK were around 20 to 30 runs ahead of what they should been. Because, and I mean, the issue with that is if you're, let's say, I, I don't have the exact number in front of me on what CSK were in the 14th over, but let, let's create a hypothetical here, right? Let's say, that, let's say hypothetically CSK were meant to be around 130 by the 14th over. But if they're then 160 by the 14th over, because you've let them get 20 to 30 runs ahead, the issue then becomes that they have such a good destructive platform. 160 after 14, they can just unleash no matter what, right? And that's what this extra 20, 30 runs does. It just ensures that the batting side know they are ahead 
So Naotus is about expressing themselves and sort of, I guess, elongating their destruction to create a very, a very, very mammoth score. And, and they did. Um, although I, I think I do have to empathize with the ballers to an extent. Uh, the pressure exerted by CSK was unreal. Conway would make regulation length balls go the distance by ramping them. This level of intent just puts the onus on the bowler to rethink strategies and try things they usually may not and put their nerves under the scan. And I think this is the reason Devin Conway is succeeding so much in the IPL. His intent has gone next level. Everyone knows Devin Conway is a very technically sound player. I mean, he's admitted that if there's one ball that he's not very technically sound with, it's sort of the cramped ball, which is, I find very fascinating that players like him and Harry Brook are admitting their frailties. Nevertheless, Devin Conway is quite a technical sound player. He can punch off the back foot, he can drive, he can flick, he can play down the ground. But now he's added 360 shots. He is able to ramp, he's able to uppercut, he's able to sweep, he's able to reverse sweep. Ultimately, he has always had a great range of conventional shots, but sort of the salient feature of this knock against RCB, and I think the salient feature of Devin Conway's so far successful IPL season has to be his courage to play outside the box. Ramps, no-look pickups. I think there seems to be a clear determination to continue to maximize runs no matter what. Shivam Dube. He loves RCB, doesn't he? Shivam Dube might be one of the most sort of intriguing player studies in IPL history. On his day, he looks like he belongs in the Indian national team, and I know you guys might think it's an over-exaggeration, but like, which other domestic player? When I say domestic player, because I think Shivam Dubey tried right to classify him as a domestic player because he had a run for India a while ago, and it wasn't that long of a run, and he hasn't returned since. But which other primarily domestic player continues to play consistent knocks such as these in the IPL? And when I say consistent knocks, I know you guys are going to say, no, half of the season he fails. Sure. But the other half of the season when he performs, his knocks are nowhere as good as any other domestic player. And I guess to rephrase what I'm trying to say, no other domestic player is as good as Shivam Dube in the knocks he performs. And that just shows me that there is a potential level out there. But on his off day, that level is so low that you might even think, is this guy meant to be in the IPL? And I think that's the sort of the, the struggles with Shivam Dube. Um, and against RCB, once again, they just went too slot to him. And they went they went too half-track. With Shivam Dube, you have to go either back of the left. That's what Gujarat Titans did on the bath. They went back, back, back of the left. Not half length, back of the left. So if you're going to go back, if you're going to go half length or, 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 or slot balls to Shivam Dube with no real purpose behind them, no real extravagance behind them with the Chinda Swami, you're going to fly and Shivam Dube made them fly. Let's now focus on Virat Kohli and Mahipal Lomro. The danger when you are chasing a total like 226 is that batters often go searching for the maximums and boundary options to keep up with the mammoth run rate. It is true. You need boundaries. It is also true that you can't start off with that same sort of neutral mindset and I guess to elaborate on what a neutral mindset is, is essentially a mindset where I guess you're batting first, you you know nothing about the game, you're essentially just starting the game, so you're just going to start your innings with no real, I guess, um, extra scoreboard pressure, right? CSK had this neutral mindset, and it's obviously impossible for RCB to start off with that neutral mindset because they're chasing, and on top of that, they're chasing 226, which is not chased very often, it's chased rarely, right? But I think there still needs to be a clarity and thought in how you're going to sort of, um, I guess, 
approach this chase. Corley and Lomro were trying to hit the ball too hard. Corley's bottom hand was working overtime, almost reaching for the ball. Hence that shot was directed, hence that shot that he was bowled off, though, the one of Akash Singh. It was directed towards the leg side where the typical Virat Kohli shot would have been to sort of back away and go straight through the line. Lomro was out of shape all innings. Both of them weren't giving themselves a chance to hit the maximums they desired. Why? Because they knew, oh, we need 226, we need to go from ball one. And that mindset that became was, oh, we're going to hit the ball so hard so we can hit sixes. No, Virat Kohli, when he hits the ball, uh, when he has his fastest innings, is just timing the ball with absolute conviction. He wasn't doing that at the Chinnaswami against CSK. What did Faf Duplessis and Maxwell do? They kept a clear process. Get into position. Watch the ball and go through the line with a quick bat speed. There wasn't a premeditation that this ball needs to be hit so hard that it goes to six. It was about reacting and giving themselves a chance to hit a six. Let's focus on Glenn Maxwell. He's hit over 20, I think 20 or 25 sixes at, at the Chinnaswami now for, for RCB. It is, it is quite an unreal stat. Um, and I, I think Maxwell and Chinnaswami are a perfect fit. And probably Maxwell and RCB are a perfect fit because RCB need a spin hitter and Maxwell is a spin hitter, especially with the sort of versatility of shots he has with the short square boundaries and the short straight boundaries even at the Chinnaswami and sort of the lack of lack of purchase usually, unlike I guess the KKR game yesterday, the KKR RCB game, the lack of purchase at the, at the Chinnaswami, Maxwell is just able to hit through the line with the fast bat speed with with full confidence that if he hits it or if he gets anywhere near enough on the ball it's going to fly so he has just stuck to a clear process and it's worked so well for Glenn Maxwell he has been destructive striking close to 190 it's it's unbelievable I want to also focus on the the sort of the CSK bowling composition in this game I think CSK are probably a bit too spin heavy for this match there was heavy dew, it was a totally flat pitch, there was no turn available, RCB had a lot of left-handers in the lineup, and CSK had Ravinder Jadeja, Moeen Ali, um, Mahish Thikshina as the spinners. And I, I think the fast bowling depth probably doesn't help. Uh, CSK for some reason have an inclination not play. Raj Vernon, Hengarkeke, um, Deepak Chahar is injured. Um, KM Asif is injured. I think Simmer, not sorry, KM Asif. I think Simmerjeet Singh is also injured. Um, so yeah, I, I guess that um, CSK don't really have the fast bowling depth, so they have to play spinners. Um, and it helps them obviously at grounds like Chepok and like the City, I guess. But at the Chinnaswamy potentially wasn't the best play. Um, and I, I think sort of regarding the the point regarding spinners, Aaron Finch, who I think has done actually a great job. Um, on commentary this season. He made a great point on air during this game that spinners t tend to go flatter when under the pump. The theory is that sort of darting it similar to the trajectory of a medium pace will help. I think what actually helps is variation of pace and flight. That's what Ravi Chandran Ashwin does. And I, I, I mean, I, I sort of said that watching Ashwin at the Chinnaswami this season will be fascinating. And it, it's something that we'll sort of discuss later on when we get into that Rajasthan-Bangalore game which, which recently happened. Nevertheless, uh, CSK did drop a lot of catches, but I think ultimately Mahi, uh, uh, Paterana, the, 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 the new Malinga, I think he's showing a great mastery and execution for such a young age and such an unconventional action. He gets the Yorkers right. He gets the wide Yorkers right. He gets the change of paces right. And with the change of paces, he gets the length right. And on top of this perfect execution, you have his weird action to cope with. And Mr. Tony backs this man. And Mr. Tony has, has invested a lot in this man, and he's... Making these investments come back. Could you try again? 
and I think ultimately he was sort of the 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 the, the main element towards the end that led CSK to this win. The next game we'll focus on is RC Beavs, the Punjab Kings, at Mohali, a midweek day game, and I think this is something the IPL have to do due to the increased uh, increased games to schedule and sort of trying to align with the international schedule as well, um, namely the World Test Championship final. Mike Hessen, uh, I want to focus on sort of RCB's batting power play and bowling power play success, but let's let's start off with the batting power play. Mike Hessen mentioned rightly in the in the post-match celebrations video on the RCB content channel that the most heartening thing to see with RCB this season is the improvement in their power play, in their batting power play and their bowling power play. The numbers indicate that. RCB's average batting power play score this season has been close to 57, which is the second highest in the IPL behind Chennai. Their average wickets lost in the power play are also less than one. Why? I think it's the approach in Virat Kohli and Francois Duplessis are taking that is heartening to see. In a team that has a very worrying middle order and a very sort of fragile middle order, it would be very it would be easy to see out the swing if there is any and get your eye in to make scores because Kohli and Faf know that they have to do predominantly a majority of the score, um, majority of the scoring. But Kohli and Faf are aware of the lack of hitting range against spin, especially Virat Kohli's. So these two two players ultimately willing to use the fielders that are up in the circle and play balls on the rise over fielders or between gaps. It has been an approach that has reaped high dividends. Faf has made 155 runs in the power play, while Kohli has made 142, both ranking amongst the top three out of all teams. I I, I think. I think Faf Duplessis has probably been at the forefront of the opening partnership success. I think Virat Kohli has been the second highest run scorer in the IPL. So I think both of them been good. But um, I want to focus on Faf Duplessis' consistency. It would be harsh to say that Faf's debut season with RCB was a failure. Especially as, as he amassed 427 runs at a decent strike rate close to 128. However, the major issue with Faf's batting last season was the impact he generated in the power play. His strike rate in the power play during the 2022 season in the IPL was 104.68. That is far too slow to create an impact for innings for RCB, especially with the season that Kohli had had, had when he was woefully out of form. This season, Faf has in the most runs in the power play out of any batter, striking at close to 170. While he has also amassed over 400 runs, striking at over 160, this is unreal ex- uh, consistency to execute in the power play, but to ensure he's able to also hit spin and amass big match-winning innings, and it's made him a dream play for RCB. To do this while nursing a grade 1 rib slash abdominal tear is another factor to consider. I, I-, I thought about it, and I, I want to sort of put his consistency down to a few things. Number one, as I sort of alluded to earlier, the rethink of his batting approach. Ever since the previous IPL season, Faf has played in the CPL, Big Bash, and South African T20 League, scoring 1,269 runs at an average of 35 and a strike rate of 158.8. To score such a high volume of runs at a solid consistency and a high strike rate is the crux of who Faf is as a T20 player now. His goal is to continue to take on the game while also looking to read situations. For example, when he continued to feed strike to Virat Kohli against Lucknow Super Giants when Faf was struggling, but Virat Kohli was hitting it incredibly well. While I don't think you can't or you can't have innings such as the one that Faf had against LSG when he was 33 or 30, uh, 30 at a stage, often um, it does show that he is versatile as a player because he knows he's not going to be able to hit from ball one every single game, especially at his age. 
He knows that he's not going to have that devastating impact because no no um player does. Sachin Tendulkar played uh, over two hundred ODIs and he scored uh, around um. Sorry, Sachin Tendulkar played over two hundred Test matches and he scored um he played two hundred Test matches exactly and he scored around fifty hundreds. It shows that you don't succeed every innings. You don't actually even succeed probably half of your innings. But I just like that Faf keeps his main priority um to take on the bowling. I think number two, uh, and sort of the, the second reason behind his, his unreal consistency is his fitness and improved range. I think his fitness and improved range also go hand in hand. For 38-year-old, Faf is unbelievably fit and it shows in his shots. His agility and reaction time is obviously naturally deteriorated as it does with any player as they grow older. Yeah, but the shots that he can still play are a testament to his fitness. To hit the shot off a back of a length down straight, that, that trademark 5-2-per-C shot, is, highlights his core strength. He's able to keep a stable base and stand tall and hit down the ground with ease. That shot, that shot has also been a pa- part of his improved arsenal against spin bowling. As when spinners bowl a length to him, Faf is not stuck for options anymore, but can hit them straight down the ground. and It's just improved his batting in general. We focus on Aspies. Batting power play is focused on the bowling power play. In T20 cricket, there is a saying, get ahead and kill the chase. RCB do that with the ball when they're defending. A lot of the heavy work is done with the new ball due to their highly impressive control. RCB's bowling economy in the power play this season is 6.9, which is the lowest by any team, 0.2 lower than Rajasthan, who are in second. It's, 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 it's in fact unbelievable considering they've also played most of the games at the Chinnaswamy so far. However, RCB have taken 17 wickets in the power place this season, which is 7 more than the second highest team. This is unreal. Power play bowling. How? The answer is simply Mohamed Siraj. Siraj has to now be considered as one of the best bowlers in the world. He has done at the test level around the world. He dismantles top orders with the new ball in ODI cricket and is rightly ranked number one in the world. The asterisk was T20 cricket. Can he stay controlled in T20 cricket? With the power play, he definitely can. His line and length is impeccable. Siraj won't deter from that third to fifth stump line, and his length is always almost perfectly in the middle of a good length, ensuring he doesn't go full. What is a major takeaway from his bowling, though, is his ability to be the main man. If Virat Kohli or Faf Tupulsi turn to him and say, we need Butler early, Siraj will go full throttle in his rhythm and attempt to get Butler early. Which he did, by the way. In the power play, Siraj goes at less than five and over. While he has sixty, and while he has sixty, the ninety-six balls that he's bowled in the power play this season, excluding yesterday's game against Kolkata Knight Riders, he has sixty-four dots. He also has seven wickets in the power play while having a bowling impact of plus sixty-nine. Thank you, Quick Quiz. While having a bowling impact of plus sixty-nine, which is the best for any bowler in the IPL this season. So, how good is Siraj? Siraj is amongst the best in the world. Let's move to Gujarat, Lucknow. Hardik Pandya batted at three at the expense of Sai Sudarshan, who was dropped from the team, or he was removed from the team at least. There is no real announcement from Gujarat on whether Sai Sudarshan is injured or has been dropped. If he has been dropped, it is a very strange call. For a player who, is, who has made major contributions in more than half the matches he has played this season, while displaying intangible qualities such as a mature temperament and astute decision-making that are well above his age, to be dropped doesn't seem warranted. The only justification for his dropping is that Gujarat feel that Hardik Pandya is coming into the innings too late and he will better succeed at a higher position. In the Lucknow game, Pandya came in at 3. 
was this not a good one? I think in the grand scheme, you'd probably say if his knock wasn't a good one, it was at least a valuable one. As ultimately, the runs that Gujarat got on the board, predominantly on the back of Hardik Pandya, were enough to win Gujarat the game. However, that can't be the only consideration that is made. Hardik Pandya was 7 of 14 in a stage. He was 30 of 31 when Gujarat were 89 for 3 after 14 overs. So essentially, even if Hardik maximized at the death, which he did, Gujarat were capped at around total of 145. Which I don't think would have been enough if, if Lucknow didn't implode at the end. So for Hardik to spend so much time at the crease and make 30 off 31, especially not attempting to maximize the power play in any manner, which is a recurring issue, I'll get into that later, while Saha was able to sort of effectively score it at a quick run rate, I, I think it highlights that his finish, his end of the innings, his finishing role was a highly valuable one. As for Gujarat, they got them a defendable total. Nevertheless, I don't think his knock was a good one. Let's look at Lucknow and Lucknow's all-time choke. The argument that Hardik Pandya and Gujarat Titans had enough to depend on this pitch shouldn't stand if it wasn't for an all-time choke from the Lucknow Supergiants. Lucknow needed 55 runs in the last 10 overs. 55 runs! Gail Rahul was in 42 from 28 balls. It was the best I had seen him play this season. It was amazing. Because it was a tough pitch. We all knew that. Whether it was a 135 pitch, I don't think so. But it was a tough pitch. So for Gail Rahul to struggle for fluency on, on batting heaven such as the Chinnaswamy yet score with such fluency at the start of this innings and almost kill the chase. It was heartening to see. They had nine wickets in hand. In the following eight overs, Lucknow only scored 38 runs. Kehil Rahul scoring 22 runs off his next 27 balls. With two overs left, they still had seven wickets in hand. Yes, they slowed down and got themselves into a precarious position, but it still should have been won. But even the hitting failed. Rahul couldn't make his time-based investment into Ekana City count, and he departed. With him, Lucknow's aspirations to win departed. It was an all-time IPL choke. There was no reason for the game to be taken deep. Yes, you can point questions to the pitch, but at a stage Lucknow were coasting, they had intentionally lifted the foot off the gas and it cost them. You can't lift the foot off the gas in IPL cricket. Mohit Sharma was at the heart of conducting this choke. One of the field goal stories of this IPL has been Mohit Sharma. Mohit Sharma was well known for his wicket-taking abilities in previous editions in the IPL and especially for Dhoni's India in the 2015 World Cup. For Hardik, he plays a similar role. Hardik gives one to two overs in the power play and two at the death. His role is to ultimately restrict as much as possible. How do you restrict? One of the most effective ways to do so is to continue to take wickets. Mohit bowled two straight at the back end in this match against Lucknow and they had no clue on how to hit him. He had calculated the perfect formula to succeed in the Ekenna track. Back of a length and as slow as possible. Disguise the variation as much as possible and use different variations. Back of the hand, rolling his fingers, cross seam. However, for off-pace plans with different variations, for that plan to succeed, the execution of the length has to be pinpoint perfect. It was. And it isn't easy to make it pinpoint perfect. Ask the RCB bowlers against Chennai Super Kings. A back-of-the-hand delivery is one of the most unnatural movements for a fast bowler. You are taught from a young age and your fundamentals are drilled and built from a straight-seeing ball. So, so to start off with the straight-seeing for, for, for the majority of your run-up and towards the end of your run-up to disguise it into a back-of-the-hand grip, that too in a pressure situation and have flawless execution of length and the ball itself 
can only be put down to one thing. Hard work and practice. I don't know if Monchema has practiced that ball repeatedly, but it is safe to assume that he has to have. It can't be good without him having done so. Monchema shared in an interview after the game that he used the net bowling experience with Gujarat Tigers last year as a training camp. He felt it was more productive use of his time to train with professional players in still an IPL training environment than just sit at home. It is a perfect attitude and perhaps a testament to his eagerness in continuing to grow his skills and even sort of being away from the limelight for a few years, he's returned and he's returned even better. Let's move on to Gujarat's next game, which was against the Mumbai Indians. Let's first focus on Gujarat's batting power play approach and as the commentators and the cricket writers like to call it, conservatism. It is... It is an interesting approach that, that Gujarat have. There seems to be a clear disparity between how Gujarat played the first four overs compared to the last two overs of the power play. There never seems to be early fireworks unless Vidman Saha gets going, but the approach always seems to be to push in the last two. In the modern age, it's an interesting question. Should there be intent from ball one, or is it okay to settle in and then get into scoring action? I think it depends on the situation, and it's, it's a pretty cop-out answer, but yeah, if the ball is hooping around miles, then I, I don't think there's any point in you trying to hit on the up and losing your wicket. I think it's better you get set to the, the pace of the pitch and taken over, right? I think four overs, taking four overs is too much. Nevertheless, if you're, if you're chasing 140, then I think you can take a few overs, just to ensure that you don't lose early wickets to set the chase in the back burner. If you're chasing 200, you can't use three overs. If you're batting first, once again, I think it's dependent on the pitch and conditions. If there's if it's a flat pitch, if everything's looking good, then I think you need to go, um, you need to show intent from ball one, because I think in, in those matches, any, any ball sort of adds up. This is my sort of um, rationale on it. We discussed Hardik Pandya earlier, and we're going to discuss Hardik Pandya again. Uh, with Hardik Pandya, there doesn't seem to be a fluency with his batting in this IPL. Um, the dropping of size addition, as we discussed earlier, to accommodate Hardik at 3 makes zero sense. Especially if Hardik is going to play knocks such as 13 or 14 in the power play. That is a negative impact knock. If you're going to face basically 45% or 40 percent on the power play you need to get at least more than 20 runs man or even if you like don't get at least more than 20 runs you need to at least try to score runs Hardik Pandya's intent was not non-existent he seemed too easy to restrict in the power play Mumbai stacked the leg side with three men and bowled into his pads and Hardik was happy to not complicate his intent and simply just tapped into the gaps it was a negative impact knock and with the classy players of the Sudarshan on the bench I'm not sure how long Hardik can don this role ultimately what one Gujarat this game and what lost Mumbai this game and even lost Mumbai the game against Punjab is their death of bowling. With Jofra Archer's fitness being quite rickety, Riley Meredith is a death option. I don't think Riley Meredith is that, is that bad at the death. I don't think he can be your leading death option though. I think he's a bit inconsistent with that. I think he was quite unlucky against Gujarat because there was, there was a six that should have been caught and there was a misfield which went for four. So it's 10 extra runs off Meredith. He would have been 35 without that which was honestly pretty decent. Cameron Green and Jason Baranoff are not death bowlers. Arjun Tendulkar obviously going to hit the 31 against Punjab. So they have one death bowling option and they don't really have faith in the other three. That's an issue. Gujarat 113 after 14 overs. They got to 200. That's 90. That's what, 87 runs? That's around 90 runs essentially in the last six overs. Punjab 110 after 13.3. They got to 207. 207 was it? Oh no, I think it was 214, something like that, right? They got to quite a bit. They scored over 100 runs in the last six. 
These are all-time bad death bowling performances. They've happened consecutively. We knew Mumbai's bowling attack didn't have depth. We knew Mumbai's bowling attack didn't have the names. But to start off so well for 14 overs, the spinners doing the job, new ball bowling with Arjun Tendulkar and Jason Burdoff looking quite good, middle overs looking pretty decent as well. To then go for 100 is too much, even for a bowling attack that doesn't have the best names. That's just a lack of plan, a lack of clarity, a lack of faith, and ultimately a lack of execution. Even if they go for 80, they're chasing 190 in both the games. 190 is possible with that Mumbai batting lineup. But over 200, it's just a, it's, it's not good confidence, is it? It's just not looking good. Um, and yeah, as I said in the Punjab game, it was Sam Khan, Harpreet Singh Bhatti, Jitesh Sharma, with an extraordinary last six over sort of surge. And against Gujarat, um, it was David Miller, Abhinav Manhur, and Rahul Tevatya. Yeah, I guess with Mumbai, the only positive to take out is that Surya Kumar Yadav looking, is looking like he's getting back in a good full flow. That knocking his Punjab, that 23-ball 50, insane. Some of the shots he played. 360, inside out, sweeps, sweeps galore. That's Surya Kumar Yadav at his best. But ultimately, Ashdeep Singh on Punjab that game towards the end. Ashdeep Singh's execution, I think, might be one of the best in the IPL. There is nothing extravagant about his bowling. He doesn't bowl 150. He doesn't move them heaps. He moves them enough. But what is so good about Ashdeep Singh is that he has good pace, 140. He has very good accuracy, and he moves the ball, and he has good death bowling options. A good slow ball, a good bouncer, a good yorker. He is an all-round bowler if there is one. And I think Ravi Shastri, uh, I think it was Ravi Shastri or Sunil Gavaskar, they were saying in commentary that they would be surprised if Ashdeep Singh does not make sort of a, a breakthrough in the test squad in, later down the line. I agree. If he moves the ball this much, and if he has this good control, I think all he has to do is just build his fitness to bowl long spells. And obviously keep grinding at the Ranji Trophy. Because Ashdeep Singh, there is something special with this man. Bouncers, perfect. Yorkers, perfect. Good length, swinging balls, Perfect. Think about that Pakistan game. Bob Razam in-swing LBW. Mohamed Rizwan, perfect bouncer. Caught on the boundary after setting it up with full balls. It was scintillating. That was his first World Cup match and probably the most pressure match that he would have played to date. And that one Katie, ice in his veins as Sheep Singh executed. It was amazing. Let's move to Bangalore, Kolkata from last night. What I really liked with Kolkata's power play batting was mainly one guy, Jason Roy. Jason Roy's proactivity. Jason Roy's main aim when facing Siraj was to ensure that Siraj doesn't settle. He would back away, go across the line, charge down, and ensure Siraj would have to focus very hard to continue to hit his lengths. Siraj was mostly okay. At times he missed. When he did miss, Roy was good enough to hit him away. It was a fascinating battle. Ultimately, Roy was the destructive player of the power play. 28 of his runs coming in the final over against Shabazz Ahmed. The way Shabazz was bowling, I think, is just reflective of a player struggling for confidence. He seemed to panic against Roy's very concrete intention of taking him apart. All four of the sixes were balled right in the slot that were easily able to be slug swept by Roy. Yes, Shabazz can say he was unlucky as Prabhu Desai should have caught Roy if he was on the rope. However, there were bad balls in the over and Roy capitalized. However... RCB's middle over comeback was, was great. It was a fresh sight, in fact. It was a fresh sight for the Chinnaswamy to have a middle over period where the batters were working extra hard to found the boundary and the bowlers could find security in a game plan. 
After a devastating power play, Roy and Jagadishan struggled to capitalize on the start. To be fair to Roy, he did the bulk of his work in the power play, and Jagadishan never really found top tempo in his innings. He did seem a bit wary, Jagadishan that is, and cautious perhaps, due to his lack of runs despite the numerous opportunities. When Venkatesh Ayer and Nitya came in, there was no sudden rhythm either. Venkatesh Ayer was 23 of 19 in a stage. The tree of Vijay Kumar, Vaishak, Hasaranga and Harsha Patel made life very hard. Why? I, I think a good sort of learning point would be to focus on Sridharan Sridham's interview on the World, world Feed. Um, when he claimed that the tracks at Chinnaswamy are slowing down and this one is significantly slower compared to the rest. There are no better bowlers for RCB to have in a slow track than Vijay Kumar Vaishak and Harsha Patel. From the very little the IPL world has seen of Vijay Kumar Vaishak, it is fair to argue that he has great confidence in his off-pace deliveries. He is able to execute his length perfectly with the off-pace deliveries and the middle of his stage is a great period to showcase his skills as Kohli had a deep cover and protection leg side setup. Herschel has also started to find his rhythm in the past few games. For me, Herschel's rhythm stands from his dipping slow ball. When that dipping slow ball is accurate and dipping into the toes, you know Herschel is on strong. But... Despite the middle of a resurgence, RCB missed opportunities as they have done all season. This time it was the fielding. At a ground that barely gives the bowlers any opportunities, you must hang on to every chance. RCB did the opposite. There were three drop catches in RCB's bowling innings and all three should have been taken. The culprits were Siraj of Vishak's bowling, Herschel of Siraj's bowling, Rana being the batter of both times. What happened? Rana made his luck count, which is so easy to do in Bangalore as one big shock can get you into a rhythm. He got into this rhythm and took down Herschel. It would be a shame for RCB after one of the best fielding showings in the previous game. Let's move to RCB's batting innings. Virat Kohli, imperious in the power play. He has scored 550 scores in this IPL. Last time he did that was 2016. So good to see the world's best at his best. For KKR, the spinners succeeded, but I think it was one thing RCB that blew the opportunities. And I'm, I'm going to tell you why. Let's focus on KKR's, um, the lengths of KKR's spinners. It would have been, personally, it would have been nice to see the KKR spin trio find their length more often last night. On a pitch that was a bit on the slow side for Chinnaswamy standards, Kohli could have really been challenged with balls at a good length which stuck in the surface. Especially in a situation where only singles weren't enough. There were five short balls in the power play from Chakravati and Surya Sharma. Kohli hit two of them for four. Lomo dispatch a half-tracker from Narayan for 6, he dispatch a half-tracker from Chakravati for 6, while he also punished a leg-side slot ball from Narayan for 6. These bad balls ensured RCB never fell awfully behind the run rate. Yet, they lost. Why? I think Virat Kohli summed up very, very well in, in the post-match interview. RCB weren't professional. Too many soft dismissals. Too many fielding errors. Venkatesh Ayer takes a beauty to dismiss Virat Kohli. Game changes right there. Game is in fact probably won there. Dinesh Karting and Suresh Prabhu Desai have a meltdown in communication. Run out. Dinesh Karthik then spoons a half-tracker, probably not even three-quarters of the way at Chinnaswamy. Out. Glenn Maxwell lobs it to mid-off. Faf Plessis hits it straight down the throat of long gone. Too many soft dismissals. RCB were never really under the pump in terms of the run rate, which is odd to say when you're chasing 200. It means Virat Kohli and sort of Mahipal Lomro, who, who, who were sort of the salient features of the chase, were managing the chase very well because everyone around them, and even them to an extent, didn't value their wicket to the, to, to the extent that was needed to be valued. And it cost them. They let KKR get 20, 30 too many runs with the fielding. And at the lunch time of the season, RCB cannot be losing games like this, especially with games coming up against Lucknow, Erakanna City, Delhi at Feroz Shakotla, Rajasthan at Savai, um, 
uh, and Jaipur, Chennai at Chepok. Those are four con- conducive tracks to spin, slow tracks. Chepok, mainly, maybe not this season. But those are four spinning tracks, or have been spinning tracks. RCB struggling with spin, especially Virat Kohli. And they're, they have a, a 0.5 sort of ratio right now. They probably need eight wins. For RCB, you always hope that you get nine wins. Try to break in the top two. Because you know that the eliminator there could be a choke, especially with how rickety they, they've been this season. Professionalism cost RCB the game. That's going to be it from this sort of week four breakdown. I know I didn't focus on RCB Rajasthan. I know I didn't focus on Chennai KKR. Um, and a few of the SRH games I didn't focus on as well. Just didn't get time to cover them. Uh, I try to cover as much as I can. Um, ultimately, uh, as I said, there has to be an incentive. Right now this podcast is quite new. I'm just trying to get my ideas out there. Trying to get my sort of rationale around cricket out there. I hope you are enjoying once again. Any feedback, any support will be much appreciated. I'll be back next week with week five breakdown. Potentially more frequent with some daily breakdowns. See you soon. Thank you.